Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. My guest today, Laurent Bukera, runs the World Food Program's operations in Somalia. We have a pretty fascinating conversation about how a humanitarian agency like the WFP operates in profoundly difficult environments beset by insecurity and terrorism. Laurent walks me through some of WFP's operations in Somalia, that is, how they deliver aid and some of the challenges of working in that country. And these challenges not only include threats from terror groups like Al-Shabaab, but more broadly, extremely low levels of infrastructure development hinder humanitarian access. To deal with some of these obstacles, the WFP is rolling out some new technological innovations, which we discuss towards the end of the episode. Now, how the international community saves lives in conflict-prone countries or insecure places is becoming increasingly relevant and important to global affairs more broadly, not only in Africa, but in the Middle East as well. I personally learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of humanitarian relief operations from Laurent and suspect you will too. So enjoy this episode. Before you do, though, uh, do check out older episodes of this podcast. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com where you can find our complete archives. And I should say many of the episodes, particularly the episodes that have numbers next to them, are evergreen content. That is, they're relevant at any time you want to listen to them. They're not necessarily news pegged. These are profiles of individuals in world affairs who tell me their life stories. And these profiles are always interesting and, and oftentimes inspiring as well. So go to globaldispatchespodcast.com or if you subscribe on iTunes, just check out past episodes to, uh, to get a sense, a deeper sense of what this podcast is all about. Of course, if you're a regular listener, if you've been with me from the beginning, you know quite well uh, what we do and, and how we do it. And I thank you for, for sticking with me these many months and, and now years. All right, here is Laurent Bukera from the World Food Program. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The, the access is hindered in many ways. One, the physical access is hindered in a sense that we cannot reach a number of towns, even if those towns are liberated or under formal administration, the access to those towns are not possible by road. They can only be reached by air. And that's and obviously it, probably way more expensive. It's, it's more expensive and also it's limiting because the airfield in Somalia are not as developed in many other countries like South Sudan or other other locations, we have very small airstrip and we can only land small planes, which are, can carry at max five metric tons per, per trip. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and so even though those towns may be liberated, getting there is difficult because the security situation on the routes to there is, is, is unclear and uncertain. Yep, yep. That's, that's the, the current situation. The, the, the actually developing situation at the moment is that some of those towns which have been, uh, I would say, liberated a year ago uh, are in fact uh, seeing some of the, some, of the, some movements on the, the forces that are present there uh, keeping the security, and that's the new development, and I think this will even further exacerbate the the challenges to to get there. Because even if you go by plane, you need uh, a security on the ground, and you you need basically the 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 the, 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 the troops uh, on the ground to basically clear the landing of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And and you, are you referring to recent decisions by some countries like Ethiopia to withdraw from Amisom? Uh, yes, I think uh, we we have heard. Uh, it's, I don't, we don't know if it is a decision, but we have we have uh, we have heard from from people on the ground uh, movement of troops away from certain area, and that's definitely something which is a worrying uh, a worrying uh, factor into our current situation. So, can you talk maybe a little bit about the way in which Amisom um, helps or supports humanitarian operations like WFPs on the ground? I think we 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 keep uh, we I mean we we have an enabling environment uh, from from the troops on the ground. We we do not directly interact with Amisom in terms of direct support. Uh, we have uh, basically access to places that they are controlling uh, by virtue of making possible that an administration is there, but also by virtue of uh, you know. Getting us clearance, or getting in fact a security and safety uh, system clearance for us to land the aircraft. Uh, we we cannot, and we try to stay as neutral and 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 I would say work alongside rather than with, uh, because I mean some is a party uh, involved in the conflict, and I think we need to keep a, a neutrality uh, for our humanitarian action. Is that sort of um, awkward in a way? Because, you know, Amazon is, um, you know, an African Union, international UN-backed force, you're a UN agency, yet um, the, yet you just described of, of needing to appear neutral. I mean, it's, it's, it's very much the, the, the nature of, uh, of the situation which renders this uh, necessary. We have different uh, parties to the conflict. We don't want to be caught in between. Uh, basically, we definitely, uh, you know, uh, support the, the 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 UN and the UN and the government process, but we need to be extremely careful to be neutral in our activities in the in the country. And, and does that neutrality help you reach places that are controlled by groups like Al Shabaab? Uh, we we are not actually uh, operating in in place which are controlled by Al Shabaab. Uh, we are at the moment operating in areas where there is administration and where we can have a monitoring and an access uh, present on those places. So it is not a direct, uh, you know, access that we can uh, we can receive from Al Shabaab, but it's more uh, an indirect security that by not interacting with the parties in the conflict, we are trying to. Uh, gain a neutrality that basically take us hopefully and hopefully will continue to keep us out of an attack a direct attack on us 
Um, over the course of, of the time that, that you've been in Somalia, how has the um, security situation uh, evolved um, to the extent that it, it will enable you to reach to reach more populations? So, I mean, has the ability of the World Food Program to reach more populations been sort of improved over the last few years, or is it somewhat stalling? Well, I think it has uh, basically it has improved in as far as a number of places that were totally under the control of Al Shabaab have been uh, liberated. So I think it has opened up some opportunities in uh, in central, central, and to some extent some part of southern Somalia. Uh, so I think that has been uh, an, an enabler, uh, an indirect enabling in terms of. Uh, the actual stability, I think, unfortunately, that has been a, a challenging security stability. We have seen a number of, uh, of challenging situations, not only in the south, but we also see kind of a little bit across the country some unfortunate, I would say, terrorism incidents, which are, which are targeting the humanitarians and which are targeting uh, the populations. I mean, how do you deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, th this idea of um, terrorist groups targeting humanitarians, targeting people who are, you know, simply delivering food, uh, is is almost a sort of like new in 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 international affairs. It's not something that's been uh, a feature of of conflict historically, but it seems to be increasingly a, a feature not only in Somalia but but elsewhere. How do you how do you deal with that? I mean, how do you confront that on on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I think first, I mean, we, we need to be extremely careful to, to keep that neutrality. Uh, the second element is that I think it's more about how to mitigate uh, the, the, the risk uh, and the impacts. And by that, I think we, we certainly need to, to do everything possible to, to avoid uh, the, the shocks or the, or, the, or the threats, but at the same time, be as prepared from a mitigation standpoint, security standpoint, and uh, and and community uh, community engagement standpoint in Somalia. We we work a lot with uh, local NGOs in Somalia. We work a lot with international NGOs that support uh, the capacity development of uh, of some local NGOs. But the community engagement, the mitigation measures from a security are key for us to be able to operate. And, and we cannot go in places where we don't have the absolute minimum standard for us to be able to assess, to be able to respond with, with an NGO, and to be able to monitor the situation thereafter. Uh, do you so these are very key uh, prerequisites. Do you have a, a sense of the, the percentage of the population that you're unable to, to reach for one reason or another? I think we, I mean, in terms of percentage that we are not able to reach, I mean, there is an important part of the population which we are not able to reach, but for a number of reasons. Some are operational, some are funding related, and some are direct security related. I think in the, in, in the entire Somalia, I think we have a, a particular segment, which is a, a region kind of the heart of the southern part of Somalia, which is that uh, that region which we are not at all operating under, uh, and we we have no operations there. I think other actors may be able to operate there, but that is one one particular segment of the sun, the, the south. The the rest of the country is in relatively accessible um, uh, area, 
but with limited access. And I think that's the problem. It's not only the number of people we can reach, is what can we reach them with? Uh, places where we can only reach seldom or by air are making us concentrate very specifically on nutrition projects, which are basically lower lower in uh, in quantity to be to be moved but the the, the rest which are a bit more uh, extensive project and development type of project or, or or livelihood type of project are much more complicated to 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 implement in some areas which have security challenges um and and just sort of logistically i mean you're you're operating also in, in a country uh with very limited infrastructure um, and, and I know in recent years, the, the big move for the World Food Program uh, in some situations has been towards cash-based transfers as opposed to simply the delivery of, of, of physical you know, foodstuffs. Um, is, is this something that's ongoing in Somalia where, where infrastructure is just so, so limited? No, uh, absolutely. I think for a number of reasons. I think the infrastructure in Somalia is is, is actually not so limited. I think it's challenged. It's uh, it's it has suffered years of uh, of non maintenance, but we we have over the years rehabilitated or supported the government rehabilitate certain ports. And at the moment, I think most of the ports are functioning and are significant entry point and into the economy of Somalia. We have a, a limitation in the deep south in Kismayo where it is limited, but still vessels can go on most, if, if not all, the key ports along the coast, which is a big, uh, a big, big, uh, big plus in terms of infrastructure. The roads are challenged from a security, but they are there. Now, our move to the, to the cash-based transfer has been as a, as a realization and a, a witnessing of actually the the the, the, the market the market in Somalia being uh, being functioning we have seen ports supplying and the local networks supplying most of the the urban settings actually in Somalia with food uh, and that has been for us a, a trigger to basically diversify our intervention our modality and at the moment we are at uh, at the 60% in kind 40% uh cash based transfer that that's something that we have set ourselves for a 3 year trajectory uh we are already there and uh and we are doing that with a with a significant uh, deployment of of a, a financial ecosystem actually in Somalia which which is based on a, on the digital transfer and biometric signature to to have uh, assurance well let's walk me through that cuz i think you know i think probably many listeners have a pretty good idea of how what you just called the in kind contribution of food like the actual delivery of physical food items works and and you talked a bit uh, about uh, how in in sort of a difficult environment like Somalia you uh, deliver those kinds of, of, of relief operations. But when it comes to the, the cash transfers, um, can you just sort of walk me through how this works? Okay. So say um, you know, I am a recipient. Uh, I, like what, are the, what are the modalities in which uh, I, I can, you know, I guess, receive one of these? I suppose it's, it's, a, it's a card. Um, and yep. how, can you just kind of walk me through, you know, how it works? Yeah, let, and, let me, mm -hmm. exactly. Now, let, let me take you one, one step back. I think yeah. the, the, we, we, we start, I think, in Somalia from uh, a registration. We basically look at the, the locations in Somalia, Somalia which are uh, prone to uh, vulnerabilities, 
uh, and prone to food security, food insecurity, and malnutrition. And and we map those. We we go to those locations and register the the IDPs, register the the vulnerable who are in our projects, where we capture their names, we capture the gender, we capture their age, we capture the number of children, their names, we, we capture the, the household composition. We capture for up to three uh, principal recipients the finger uh, the fingerprint. With that, we issue them a card, which looks like uh, a bank card that, that anyone has in, in, uh, in, the, in the developed world. Uh, uh, like a bank card, which has a chip. Uh, the card itself contains the, the identification detail of the household. Uh, with that population register, when we see a shock or a crisis and we need to respond, we select the household. Sometimes, given the, the demography, we can select the households which have uh, young children or households which are uh, single-headed households. Uh, different different vulnerabilities. Uh, the household that is uh, receiving the card uh, receive what we call a credit, which is a top-up on the card. So it's like a prepaid card. The, mm-hmm. the value is added on the card. It's an entitlement. We put, let's imagine, $100 uh, worth of value, which is a, a, a voucher, an electronic voucher on the card. That's on the on the individual. On the other side, we have uh, we, we establish agreements with retailers in Somalia. So we have at the moment close to 500 retailers in Somalia. Uh, we equip the retailers with a point of sale, you know, the device that mm-hmm. um, you know any yeah, of like the, chip the audience will, exactly, which which we see at the restaurant or in other in other places. Mm-hmm. But those devices are equipped with uh, a fingerprint reader. So we don't use the pin codes that we are using uh, in, uh, in, our, in our world, I would say. But we use uh, a fingerprint reader as a signature. So when, when, when someone has the card, they can go to one of those shops in Somalia uh, and uh, shop for the value of what's on the card or what's left on the card. I mean, if they have done several shopping, but each time they have to sign for what they are collecting from the shop. So they can't buy like cigarettes and alcohol, but they can buy. No, food. we at the moment we have a list of about twenty food items, which which include fresh food as well as eggs, uh, milk, uh, and and other more stable food and more more dry products. But we have a, a good variety of of food items, which offer them uh, a good dietary diversity. Uh, so they go, they shop, and uh, and basically based on the connection, because those devices are all connected, we can then refund or pay the retail shop which has uh, which has sold the, the goods to the people. Okay. So basically, we are paying on their behalf. And and I have to imagine that's probably cheaper than delivering food, right? I mean, it, you know, the, the 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 cash systems and and the point of sales are, are you know that that's probably like the most expensive part of it. But otherwise, it's just you know straight cash, right? It's uh, the, the 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 cash. I mean, the the cost has been uh, an evolution. I think when we first started, I think we of course had the the capital cost of putting together the infrastructure. I think we have decreased decreased the cost of transfer. Uh, we we see in comparison to bringing the food uh, a, a slightly better cost, but not dramatically decreased because 
when we bring the food as an in-kind, we, we purchase a certain set of items in large quantities on, on, on large markets. And basically, even if we have to ship it and to move it within Somalia, the, the starting price of the, of the food is extremely low. Mm-hmm. compared to what we see on, on the shelves in Somalia. So what we see on the shelves has also, for, for, for a good parts, sometimes been imported, sometimes has been produced in Somalia, and sometimes the, the costs are, are not that different. I mean, we, we still opt for the cash tra- cash-based transfer where there is uh, an efficiency, uh, but we haven't seen a massive, gap between the two because the, 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 the price we can obtain on the global markets are, are very low. Okay. Yeah. Because you're not going through sort of the middleman, uh, which would be the shop owner that needs to make a profit. Right. Yep. And, and, I, but I suppose the flip side is that, you know, having a shop owner make a, a profit, you know, you're contributing to the local economy instead of you know, skewing the local economy by bringing in uh, external food. No, we we definitely are always uh, always mindful of the of the market and the economy. So when we we design an intervention, be it in kind or cash based transfer, we always okay. consider the market dynamics, and we we certainly would not bring an in kind at the time where it can damage the market. Uh, but we would certainly uh, support a market which is already uh, on you know functioning by uh, generating. Uh, 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 a market dynamics with cash-based transfer. So we, we're always mindful of the the damage that we could do, uh, but uh, certainly in Somalia, in many places where there is food availability, we definitely uh, deploy as much as we can cash-based transfer at the moment. So, I mean, is this the, the, the future of how, you know, food relief operations are likely to, to go um, in the coming years? I think there will be a, a continued uh, a continued combination of modalities. I think we we are seeing I think a lot of current crises which are, are urban. Uh, I don't want to say urban crisis, but kind of centered and oriented a lot of lot of urban centers. And we see a great evolution into the cash based transfer because I think that's is uh, is is a uh, is, is a good vehicle where there is food availability. We, however, also will continue to see rural areas or even urban areas where the, the, the supply chains, the, the, the local supply chain, are disrupted by war, are disrupted by climatic situation. And, and basically, in those countries where there is a, an issue of food availability, we will still have to rely on, 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 on in-kind transfer. So I think we, we see a growth in the cash-based transfer Certainly, that will continue, but I think there will be a continuous balance of modalities uh, that, in fact, very often work best when they are done in tandem. And in many cases, when we have nutrition products, uh, the nutritious products are very specialized, and unless produced by the country, uh, they need to be imported as an in-kind product. So I think there will be a combination of both, but, uh, but definitely with a growth in the, in the cash-based transfer, this, I think, is, uh, is something which is there, which will continue probably. And, and looking towards the, the future needs of, of Somalia going into 2017, I mean, uh, there has been a lot of, of reports and, and, and news about the effect of El Nino uh, on food supplies in the region and on, on the food security in the region. Um, how do you see the trajectory of food security 
in Somalia going over the next you know several months? No, I'm. I'm I would unfortunately have to be you know uh, worried about the the food in, the food security moving forward because the, what we have seen in the last uh, last ten months in Somalia has been a, a an effect of the droughts, which probably was an after a, a, a damage from the from the El Nino, but we have seen a drought in the north. Uh, we should be seeing rains now in Somalia, extensive rain. We don't see them. So the drought has continued in the northern part, but I think more even uh, dramatically has started beat biting the southern, the central and the southern part of the country, which you know, are the, the regular breadbasket of the country. So and, I think and the part of the that, that's country, for me a very, very worrying sign well, on, on, on that front. And, and, sure. and you said earlier that that's the part of the southern part of the country, the country that's the hardest to access for you for, for security yep. reasons. And mm-hmm. so that seems to be a really almost volatile situation where you have a, a drought affecting this area in particular, but that's sort of the one area that it's, it's most difficult for, for oh, you to right. reach. No, no, definitely. And I think when, I mean, that's difficult to reach, it's difficult to reach, uh, it's difficult to produce in those areas. And and I think one thing we need to, to be mindful of, the, the fact that after the El Nino, the, the, the meteorologists are predicting uh, La Nina phenomena, which is even further exacerbating the drought conditions. So we, we see not only on the food security, like some, some burden coming across the, the country, but also from uh, even water availability. We have a number of places in the, in the southern part where uh, boreholes have been, you know, difficult to access, where the water is no longer there. So, so I really think we see not only a food security, but we see, uh, you know, multiple faceted situation, which, which is very worrying. I mean, I don't think we should... Uh, be extremely or too dramatically uh, alarmed, but we should be worried. I mean, are there other broader um, global security implications of the kinds of of environmental degradation you're talking about, combined with the lack of of humanitarian access? I mean, I mean, you know, there's obviously a, a huge famine in Somalia in, in 2011. Um, there's, you know, a degree of of instability along the Kenya and the Somalia border. I mean, we were speaking a day after there was a series of of attacks. Uh, in in the region by Al Shabaab. I mean, to what extent does the humanitarian crisis uh, interact or feed uh, a, a security crisis in the country? No, I think like we, we we need to look at this from from both ways. I mean, the humanitarian you know situation is very often a consequence of 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 other other situation can be uh, political security. And I think this is what we see in Somalia. It's, uh, we are unfortunately seeing people suffering the burden of, of too many years of, uh, of conflict and of, uh, and of, of crisis. The, the situation we see, I would say, in, uh, in the neighboring country is, is, is worrying, but it's, uh, it's, it's a situation which we see, at the moment, we see a number of people uh, voluntarily deciding to return to to Somalia, I think it's a very delicate return because we need to invest into the arrival point in Somalia to offer them uh, a good a good arrival. Uh, all of that is happening at a time where the electoral the electoral process is happening in Somalia, which is a, a, a fantastic 
uh, evolution for, for Somalia, but it's also a country that remains extremely fragile in many ways, both from the, the political standpoint, but also from the security, from the, 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 the climatic situation. So I would say there are a number of ingredients which are uh, at the moment in the mix. Uh, we, we need to monitor that very carefully in the coming months. Uh, we, we hope to see uh, an exit from an electoral process which would be extremely positive because the, the country is also preparing for a, a launch of a national development plan from 17, which I think would put back the country on its feet into a, into a development prospect. Uh, the, the risks are there. Uh, I think the situation we have seen in 2011 with a significant food crisis, uh, I think should be should not repeat uh, even if the, the 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 situation is bleak and we could see increased needs uh, I would say the actors have established a number of measures a number of uh, solutions are deployed to basically allow a response should the situation deteriorate uh, further but we need to be on on alert and on our guards to be able to to respond to to greater needs because i think there will be greater needs in the in the coming months uh well laurent thank you so much for your time thank you very much all right thank you all for listening and what to say, just go to globaldispatchespodcast.com, check it out the archives, get in touch with me if you like. I always, always, always love hearing from you, learning what's on your mind. And if you have any ideas for me or suggestions of topics I should cover or people I should interview, let me know. I will see you later. Bye.